0: If we're going to compare the end of Desus and Merrill to a music breakup, let's compare it to NWA. Negroes with no aptitude. That's what Hollywood prefers. Negroes with no aptitude will say and think whatever they're told. Like Man, Tan, and Sleep and Eat in the movie Bamboozled, Desus and Merrill did not earn their network TV shows. Showtime hired Desis and Mero to serve as black male operatives for the Democratic Party. House Negroes handcuffed by Hollywood handouts. That's what should appear on the tombstone of Desis and Mero. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, Happy Tuesday. Uh, We made it through Monday. We're now fully into the work week. And man, oh man, have I put some work and have we put some work into this show. We have a fantastic show planned for you. Uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, will be here uh, very shortly. Uh, Kathy Barnett perhaps the newest fearless fearless soldier. You guys remember Kathy, she ran for Congress out of Pennsylvania. She was on the show a week or two ago. Uh, she ran against Dr. Oz. She's coming back to talk about uh, politicians and all the money they're making in the stock market. Uh, Kathy's got an extensive background in economics and finance, can't wait to hear her talk about paul pelosi and the republicans making millions of dollars in the stock market Uh, maj terray is going to be here we'll talk about the uh, shooting uh, incident at the greenwood mall we'll get maj's take on tech lee sunberg and what happened to him in minneapolis that we talked about yesterday can't wait to hear from maj Uh, but we'll start today's show where we like to start most shows uh with a fire and i'm going to take you guys on a little journey about some guys you may not be familiar with, but their story is actually important because of what they represent. Uh, So stick with me, as I like to do with these fire starters. I'm gonna take you on a little bit of a journey, uh, but the payoff's gonna be worth it. All right, uh, 20 years ago, back when Spike Lee attempted to disrupt Hollywood's bigoted culture rather than profit from it, the famous director produced the movie Bamboozle. The comedic satire depicted a struggling television network's rise, thanks to the surprising success of a black minstrel show that featured two lead black characters, Man-Tan and sleep eat wearing black face, dancing, and talking jive to each other. Man-Tan, the new millennial, millennium minstrel show was the brainchild of a frustrated Ivy League educated black executive who created the show to embarrass his white boss. Instead, the show made Pierre Delacroix rich and famous, and saved CNS, the fictional continental news, (laughs) continental network system. Here, let's take a look at the trailer to get you guys up to date. I want a show that will make headlines. The Huxtables, Cosby, a genius,
1: revolutionary,
0: but we can't go down that road again. The network does not want to see Negroes on television unless they are buffoons.
1: Have you ever thought about this quitting?
0: I have a contract. The only way I get out of that is if I get fired, and that is what I intend to do. I know you're familiar with minstrel shows. Variety shows. Show. Like in living color. Right, right, right. That was dope. man The
2: new millennium minstrel show. We're going to need a little more money for this.
1: This
0: could be bigger than Friends, Allie McBeal, even my boys Amos and Andy. Damn.
3: You're putting white actors yeah. in blackface?
1: We're using black actors with
0: blacker faces. Brown, Hollywood. Brown, Hollywood.
1: Hollywood.
0: Brown, Hollywood. Brown, this fall. Right on, man.
3: Yeah, great show.
0: You won't believe what's coming to your television.
3: Sleep and Eat and Mantan
2: are lazy and unemployed. your stuff. But we are certainly not saying anything about the entire African American community.
0: What's sweeping the nation? And what's coloring? Oh! The way you see the world. Yo, we can't let this injustice go by, man. Not this time, man. You know what I'm saying? Nah, man. You know what I'm saying? You know The light.
1: The light.
0: Your hands are just as bloody as mine. Cousins, I want you all to go to your windows. We talking about revolution. Go to your windows and yell out. I am not going to take it anymore. I don't want anything to do with anything black for at least a week. (laughs) Bamboozled, released in 2000, foreshadowed real-life network television in the aftermath of The Cosby Show and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Hollywood pivoted from showcasing black traditional families living the American dream to leaning into black debauchery, ignorance, and anti-American sentiment. Hollywood followed hip-hop's depiction of black America. And that explains why Showtime invested four years and millions of dollars into Desus and Mero, the man-tan and sleeping of talk television. Yesterday, Showtime announced it was not renewing Desus and Mero for a fifth season. Their late-night show flopped four years ago. It was stillborn, dead on arrival. With Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as its first guest, it debuted in February of 2020 uh, to 150,000 viewers and quickly descended into utter irrelevance, drawing as few as 30,000 viewers some weeks. Given its access to guests, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Denzel Washington, Chris Rock, Little Nas X, John Legend, Samuel L. Jackson, Matt Damon, Idris Elba, Stacey Abrams, Megan Rapino, among many others appeared on the show. Despite all that, the show collapsed and was a failure. And Deesis and Merrill, <laughs> it's rather stunning. Showtime tried everything. New time slots, more marketing, additional programming, fawning news stories, appearances at celebrity events. No one watched. Deesis and Merrill couldn't build an audience because the alleged comedians weren't funny, smart, profound, or bold. They were a stereotype. They cursed, said the N-word, giggled like they were high, and spewed the left-wing and alphabet mafia talking points Showtime handed them. Here's what should appear on their tombstone. House Negroes handcuffed by Hollywood handouts. That's what should be on the tombstone of Desis and Merrill. It won't though. The Hollywood trade publications and social media apps portrayed the end of Desus and Meryl like it was the breakup of Sonny and Cher, Ike and Tina Turner, the Allman Brothers, or EPMD, Eric and Parrish making dollars. Variety Magazine claimed Desus and Meryl split up, ending Showtime series after four seasons. People Magazine said the pair ended the show to pursue individual creative endeavors. The New York Times, Followed the agreed-upon narrative, reporting that the show upended the traditional model for late-night talk shows. No outlet that I could find mentioned the show was a complete ratings failure, unfunny, and never made news. DeSantis and Merrill made Bill Simmons's failed HBO show, Any Given Sun, even Any Given Wednesday, seem like the second coming of The Sopranos. HBO canceled Simmons's show. 17 episodes into its first season, any given Wednesday averaged 203,000 viewers. Desus and Merrill failed to reach that many viewers when Barack Obama granted them an interview. Again, HBO dumped Simmons in season one. Desus and Merrill, despite dwindling BLAD ratings, got four years. If we're going to compare the end of Desus and Merrill to a music breakup, let's compare it to NWA Negroes with no aptitude. That's what Hollywood prefers. Negroes with, no with no aptitude will say and think whatever they're told. Handouts come with handcuffs. Like Man Tan and Sleep and Eat in Bamboozle, Desus and Merrill did not earn their network TV shows. They had a very brief flirtation with relevance and success on Vice. Showtime plucked the player because they would be easy to control during the election cycle. In 2019, all the corporate TV networks from Fox News to CNN to Comedy Central to all the way down to your local news station doubled down on removing Donald Trump from the White House. Showtime hired DeSys and Merrill to serve as black male operatives for the Democratic Party. Showtime and the DNC believe black people, particularly black men, are stupid. They basically think we're retarded. Showtime paid DeSys and Merrill to be stupid, to be retarded, to put on a weekly minstrel show that featured them engaging with AOC, Stacey Abrams, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Maxine Waters, Cory Booker, Bernie Sanders, Ta-Nehisi Coates, and Anthony Fauci. Desis and Merrill, mediocre comedians, and less than mediocre thinkers stood as reminders that cool and righteous young black men support Democrats, the LGBTQ movement, and Black Lives Matter. They're paid influencers. The problem is the show lacked the reach to influence people. So after four years, Showtime moved on and will seek out a new pair of house Negroes to handcuff. More than likely, Showtime will try to expand the All the Smoke podcast featuring Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson into a late night talk show. They're tall, athletic, better looking versions of Desis and Merrill. They love drugs, they love money, they believe hip hop is a religion and culture capable of saving black people. They know virtually nothing about politics. They'll happily do what they're told and serve as black male stereotypes. They can be easily bamboozled. That's my fire. I wanna conclude my fire by sticking the landing because I was thinking about this when I was conceiving this whole fire starter and I was like, well, hold on. Don't let me leave the real bad guys off the hook here. I know the real bad guys. It's David Nevins, the CEO of Showtime. I've met with David Nevins and his little cast of white executives that decide what goes on Showtime. Nice guy. Enjoyed the meeting. But these are the people that sit around and make these decisions. You know what? Black people are retarded. Let's give them retarded programming. Let's put on people that aren't funny, have no aptitude, but will say exactly what we tell them to say. And we'll model the behavior that we want from black people. We want black people, debaucherous, stupid, retarded, and supporting the Democratic Party and whatever the alphabet mafia tells us to support. That's what David Nevins and his little cast of executives do. And that's why they'll likely promote Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson, or someone else that loves debauchery, loves drugs, uh, has a loose grip on uh, on grammar, uh, knows virtually nothing about politics and geopolitical issues, knows nothing about anything beyond smoking weed and playing basketball. Let's give them a television show. We we tried it with these two young, mediocre comedians they couldn't reach an audience so let's get a little dumber it's a group and again in in the one of the first scenes in bamboozle is michael rappaport is the white executive is the uh, that heads cns this fictional network and he's got he's got a conference Room filled with other executives that report into him and they're formulating what they're going to do with the show. The whole room is white. And then in comes Damon Wayne's character. He's the one black person. He's Ivy League ed- educated and he's frustrated and, you know, he's disconnected, Ivy League educated, whatever. But that's what these rooms, that's what these decision making, that's the group that makes the decision on, hey, how are we gonna portray black people on TV? Who are we gonna give these opportunities to? And they look for pet Negroes willing to be handcuffed by a handout. And so, Desis and Merrill, again, if they were white, would have been canceled halfway into, certainly after their season one, because that thing went into the toilet immediately. Immediately, it was clear, this show was no good. But again, these guys, black people aren't judged by standards of excellence, of hey, can you, uh, or they're not given these opportunities. The people that could actually reach an audience and and do what the Cosby Show did, do what the Fresh Prince did, do what um, the Martin Lawrence Show did, do what Oprah did, they're not given these opportunities anymore. Clowns like Desis and Merrill that portray black people in a negative light and will sit on air and say the n-word over and over and over again, pretend to be high or be high while doing the show. That's who gets the opportunity because the people sitting in the room, that's what they think about black people. Some people sit, uh, Whitlock's irritated, he's pissed off, he's jealous. Oh, look at the success they had. Look, first of all, they didn't have success, and every opportunity that they've had, I've already had them. Already had them, back when it used to be in style for actually intelligent, black people with integrity. There used to be a time when TV networks actually used to give us opportunity. That time has passed and I could sense it. And that's why I moved on. I wanted to be in an environment where I could be myself. There's a reason why these shows are built around people that sound like they barely graduated high school. It's intentional. They could do different and do better and they used to, and they used to draw ratings with it. But they decided, we want a minstrel show. We want clowns, willing, we want house Negroes willing to be handcuffed by Hollywood. And so they get guys like Deces and Meryl, or they get Negroes with no aptitude. And I'm sorry if that pisses you off, but that's the facts. All right, uh, we're going to roll out to California and uh, bring in uh, my main man, Steve Kim. Uh, Steve, uh, I know you watched a little bit of of Desis and Mero. Uh, I talked to you this morning. I was a little shocked you hadn't seen the movie Bamboozled uh, by Spike Lee. I had to walk you through that. But, But again, I think it's intentional that Showtime and other networks Lean into the anti American sentiment, lean into the promotion of everything LGBTQ, lean into debauchery, and, and anybody that will uh, celebrate the Democratic Party. I, I, th- I think this is all intentional, and it's not just DeSis and Merrill, it's Bomani Jones, it's L. Duncan, it's everything we talk about and see on ESPN and across all these networks.
2: Jason, first of all, good Tuesday to you. And and yeah, you know, a lot of this is intentional. There's no doubt about that. They have been now weaponized as part of this culture war, much of which is anti-American. You know, I'll come clean. Desus and Merrill, I watched one show, and I think it was their first one where they featured AOC when they went to her Washington, D.C. office. And I just remember thinking, this show is not for me. And the other thing I came away thinking is that AOC is not a serious legislator. And it uh, uncovered her for what she really was, which is an actor. She's not a politician. She gives politicians a bad name, believe it or not. But here's the issue with Asus and Merrill. I'm not even angry at them. I'm not even anti-them. I believe that they were put in place by the corporate puppet masters, as you said, to serve a larger agenda. And if you actually study the Showtime programming, this This goes to a much bigger picture. Because I follow boxing and I cover the sport for the past 25 years, I've been a Showtime subscriber for over two decades. I actually watch a good deal of their programming. And and I told you this before. They follow a certain path on one side of the political aisle, and they're very consistent with it. I'm not even so sure Desus and Merrill had an ability – to even ever go against the grain even one time, because I know the way this works being at ESPN. But let me give you an example, a couple of them at Showtime. Um, They actually did a four-part documentary on the Kings. That's what they called it, about the Hagler-Hearns-Duran-Leonard era. And here I'm thinking, great, this is what I grew up on. This actually made me a boxing fan. Yet interspersed through every chapter of that documentary was anti-Reagan rhetoric. And and I'm just like, what? They, they actually, they, they had this one part, which was amazing, that Marvin Hagler from 1976 to 1980 was being blackballed and was a victim of Reaganomics. And that's why he couldn't get a, a title shot. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I know the Marvin Hagler story pretty well. This is a fact. From 76, 77 to about 1980, the president was Jimmy Carter, a Democrat. In fact, by the time Ronald Reagan got in the office in 1981, uh, Marvin Hagler was already a middleweight champion. And during the Reaganomics era, uh, Hagler did very well. He made tens of millions of dollars. Then another thing they did, which I thought was completely dishonest, one of their uh, uh, panelists, I think his name is Michael Ezra, they tried to frame the Hagler-Hearns fight as a battle of two impoverished inner cities <laughs> stricken down by white suits and you know, all that stuff. And they tried to frame it as Detroit, Tommy Hearns, and they said, Newark with Marvin Hagler. And I'm thinking, time out, guys. Marvin Hagler and his mother moved their family from Newark after the race riots of 1968 to Brockton, Massachusetts. Most of his life was spent there. And that city actually embraced him. Then another thing they did, and I remember sending you uh, some reminders of it back a year and a half ago. They did a documentary series on Ronald Reagan. And coming away from that, it was a hit piece. It wasn't even a documentary. And I was very young. I'm a child of the 80s, much like you were, Jason. After watching that, I said to myself, geez, I didn't know America was such a horrible place to live during its presidency. I actually remember having a great childhood and thinking, wow, God bless this great country. So that goes in line. And as for the LGBTQ movement, believe it or not, Jason, I hope you're sitting down. I, at one point, was an avid viewer of The Shy. I'm going to say this again. I actually <laughs> like The Shy. I watched every ep- – no, I did. A couple things happened. They had to kill off some characters because of sexual harassment claims, and they c- killed off Brandon, Jerica. She left the show. I really liked those two. Where the tipping point for me was, it was two seasons ago. I'm watching it, and they introduced this character – who was the girlfriend of a former gang leader who's gonna rescue his younger brother from the streets of Chicago. And I'm thinking, that's a good storyline. Where they got me was that this girlfriend was a transgender woman. And I said to myself, wait a minute, I- I've never grown up in the Windy City. I'm not really down on the south side of Chicago. There's no way a former gang leader who's still kind of in the street is gonna have a transgender girlfriend and then be accepting of it and everyone's okay. And I said, you know what? They're pushing an agenda right down my throat and I had to cut the shy.
0: Listen, I don't know why you're surprised because, and I don't know why the name of the woman that's the creator uh, yeah, I know, cause,
2: cause, I know. I give
1: things a I,
0: I'm shot. trying to think of her name. I'm going to call yes. Lena Waite. Isn't it Lena Waite? I, yes, it is.
2: It, I should have known better. It's Lena Waite.
0: Yeah. Was- she's alternative lifestyle. When I lived out in LA, she tried to get me on her podcast at oh, some point was- or do an interview with her. or uh, She had some show, t- TV or podcast, wherever she wanted me to come on. I declined because I thought it was a setup. Uh, <laughs> I okay, they're trying to put me in a spot where they can make some allegation. I, I decline it. And look, maybe she was an authentic fan. I don't know, but I did her being the creator and the brains behind the depiction of Chicago or whatever never resonated with me. I think I watched two or three episodes of The Shy and checked out. <laughs> didn't find it authentic or believable. I'm going to push back a little bit though on. Cause maybe she's actually, and the shop is actually ahead of the curve. I can't think of this rapper. I just maybe it's Little Wop or somebody uh, that's from Chicago, and he just came out as bisexual and how he likes transgender uh, men and feminine men. Yeah, I think it's Little Wop, and I think he's from Chicago. He, and he just he just came out. Talking about how, and he's, you know, the gangbanging type or whatever, gives off that He was raised by savages and blah, blah, blah. And so maybe it actually is. And and, and again, that hip hop gangster culture is nothing but prison culture commercialized. And prison culture has a whole different outlook on this lgbtq plus they got all the letters going on in prison and no matter what these tough guys say and that's like all these guys i'm from prison and i'm hard and blah 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 all that screams to me is like you'll swing any direction at any time and so the shot might actually have been ahead of the curve but I, I, i do think you're right about showtime and clearly I think hbo but all these networks have a left-wing progressive uh agenda at play i'm wondering again do you do you does this ever show up and again you talked about the 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 haggler leonard documentary or whatever but with the actual boxing coverage of fights does the left lean show up in how uh, Showtime actually puts on fights. Do you, do you see any you examples know, of that? I don't really notice it that much. I think they play it
2: pretty much straight down the middle. I mean, well they have their biases towards the companies that they work with, which is the premier boxing champions. Yeah, but that's natural. Uh, in terms of the actual broadcast that once they go on the air and I believe Brian Custer who does a fine job as their host, once he sends it down to Al Bernstein, Marlon Ronaldo, and Abner Morris, Pretty much it's boxing. I don't actually see or notice that much of a political bent. Jason, I wanted to make this point about the corporate overlords and how they really are like Geppetto with Pinocchio. Believe it or not, as a kid, when I first got cable TV in the mid 80s, I was fascinated by BET, Black Entertainment Television, because they had two shows that I love, Video Vibrations and the one Video Soul, I believe, with Donnie Simpson. And they would show certain videos that MTV was not going to air. And there was this one song that I loved in the summer of 86 from a a rapper by the name of Joski Love. It was Pee-wee's Dance. And they played that thing with Pee-wee Herman. It had the background. It was a great song. I was the one guy in LA that loved it. But I did notice when I was watching BET back from about 85 to about 89 is when I really watched it. The commercials actually showed a lot of conscience programming where they would talk about issues. They had a lot of serious programs. Now, I wouldn't watch it. I was just too young. I didn't really care. I watched other things. But I did notice right around the early to mid-90s, the programming changed once, I believe, Robert Johnson gave up control of it. And now you look at it, it's just 24-7, 365 debauchery. So it happens everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's it's world star hip hop on a loop. Now, they should change BET. Just, it's just world star hip hop, and it's just debauchery. L- let me ask you this. Even though you didn't see Bamboozled, one of my other subtle points in my Firestarter is like, Spike Lee used to make provocative, thought-provoking movies that I enjoyed, and now he doesn't. To me, he... he when I go back and because I, I watched some of Bamboozle this morning just to refresh my memory, it's one of my favorite Spike Lee movies uh, because it is thought provoking. Look, is it expertly acted? No. Is the story a little foot? But it has a point of view and is making a point that I found provocative at the time and still find provocative. And the movie actually is better now than it was in 2000 because of where we're at. I'm just I'm just shocked at who Spike Lee has become when I go back and look at his old work and how disruptive. He used to want to challenge the Hollywood establishment. Now, he just wants to be a part of the Hollywood establishment.
2: Well, look, he used to be a provocateur uh, of the system in a sense that he would jab at it he would take a harsh look at it now he's a purveyor and a product of it Let, let's look at spike lee's history uh, and i'm a fan of his or at least i was from she's gotta have it do the right thing mo better blues there uh jungle fever i mean that was some critically acclaimed work that i think many people enjoyed now he just falls in line I, i'm not gonna lie to you i rolled my slanted eyes a couple years ago when i saw him doing commercials telling everyone to get vaccinated. And I said, ah, they got him part of the system. He's no longer the renegade. He's now part of it. He's part of the cabal. He's part of the elite. And, 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 you know, it used to be like this little thing, like it's interesting back in the mid nineties, when he had his battles with Reggie Miller on the New York Knicks sidelines, and he was a super fan. Now it's just like, it's, that act has gotten old and I'm like, Spike, you're a grown man. Just sit your ass down like Jack Nicholson and enjoy the game. Um, and you're right. Spike Lee at one time made some incredibly provocative movies that were very, very deep. Now his movies, they all have a certain formulaic structure to it where you know exactly who he's pandering to. I think that much we can agree upon.
0: All right, Steve, let's get to our uh, approval rating for Desis and Meru. Uh, This is going to be very interesting. I've struggled to uh, come up with any points for these guys. As it relates to job performance, uh, they just got canned, finally, four years too late. Anybody else, as I stated in in my Firestarter, anybody else would have got canned after season one. These guys got four seasons of a show. They, Barack Obama the any Denzel Washington was on the show and they couldn't draw ratings and now they just got canned job performance zero okay you're gonna be
2: stunned by this and I get it they had a list guests and F ratings I actually checked their YouTube page and I, and I and I actually did watch a few minutes of their videos they do decent numbers and look they're good enough to at least get hired in the beginning maybe when they were independent they were more effective um, call me Salvation Army. I'm going to be very charitable here. I'm going to give them a 15.
0: <laughs> a show that just got, got canceled. just got canceled. They're out of work, and you're giving them a 15.
2: I didn't call them Abbott or Costello. I I said that they had a. Are you trying to make a
0: libs of TikTok video right now? Are you? you (laughs) Be a personal dream of mine.
2: That'd be a a benchmark achievement (laughs) for the old Kimster here. (laughs) Okay, wait a
0: minute. My God, (laughs) (laughs) boy, you're grading on a curve. You you need David Nevins is going to be trying to call you right now. He's going to put you on there his executive committee. Uh, Character. Uh, I don't think these guys have much. and look, look I do need to be I meant to say this in my monologue and Firestore. I have beefed back and forth with Deces and Merrill For years they attacked me start because I didn't know who they were They'd started attacking me. I think when they were on vice or whatever and so I, I've been sitting around living for this day. I knew that one day their lack of aptitude, their lack of talent would catch up to them and they'd get canceled. So I have been laying in the cut, waiting on this day, but just, just so everyone knows, they started picking at me years ago and continued on their show that you know I watched a few times, but it was so bad I quit watching. So anyway, keep my score with that little tiny bit of a grain of salt. I give them a four in character.
2: Yeah. You know, they've never come at me. I don't they they wouldn't know me from a punch in the face or whatever. I gave them a 10. I I don't know. Look, I think they're playing a role. I think they're forced to pander to a certain audience. Let's be very honest about it. If they actually ever said, you know what, that Donald Trump guy wasn't all that bad. They probably didn't want to take the heat. I gave him a 10. Again, I'm in a very charitable
0: mood this Tuesday. Yes you are. Uh, almost <laughs> enough that I'm going to boot you off the show here. Uh, authenticity. Uh I don't find them very authentic again as house negroes, handcuffed by hand, Hollywood handouts. You like all that alliteration with the h. Uh, I gave them a 4 in authenticity.
2: Okay, this is going I may actually get thrown off here. I think they authentically you may. believe they're delusion. Look, uh, you, do they really believe this stuff? Is that truly their mindset? Yes. I, I, you know, they may. Look, I, it doesn't mean I have to agree with it, but are they authentic in what they believe and who they are? I actually think so. Yes. So, again, this may be my last appearance here, but I'm going to stay here. I'm going to give him a 20. going to give him a 20.
0: <laughs> Steve, I'm embarrassed for you. I hope your mom doesn't watch this show. I hope Mario Lopez doesn't watch this show. Uh, I hope every woman in LA watches this show and you never get laid again the rest of your life. Uh, It factor. uh, (laughs) I'm going to give him a three and hope to God you don't give him a double digit number here. Okay.
2: All right. This is where I think I'm going to at least earn another appearance or just a five minute penalty box thing. NHL. I gave them a five, and I'll tell you why. I, I, didn't, I never got it with them, and I realized I am not the core audience they're looking for. I actually watched about 15 minutes of the segment they did with Mina Kimes, our old friend. It may have been the most unfunny, supposedly funny thing I've ever seen. And when something is not that funny at all, when it's supposed to be comedy, it's actually funny but not in a ha-ha way. And the, too much of this what I get with all these shows, everything's an inside joke where everyone laughs at each other's uh, one-liners, and then everyone's forced to laugh, especially like the white audience members, because then you're not being anti-racist if you don't find them funny. So yeah, I, I thought that was one of the worst things I ever saw. I gave them a five.
0: Yeah, but you gave them a 15 in job performance after what you just said. The YouTube We're gonna numbers are good. going to question your authenticity. The YouTube uh, numbers
2: are good, man. <laughs>
0: uh dumpster fire I got him at 11 somehow you got him candle lit uh bye Steve I don't ever want to talk to you again Uh, (laughs) for the rest of today maybe I'll talk to you on Wednesday all right go to youtube.com slash Jason with like hit notifications hit subscribe uh hit me in the chat. tell me what your approval rating scores would be for Deces and Merrill don't be as silly as uh Steve Kim put your approval rating scores in the live chat right now I'll be there to tell you, to scold you if you get, if your scores are close to accurate. All right, Kathy Barnett. All right, welcome back. Uh, Hey, Kathy Barnett is going to uh, rejoin us. Uh, We had her on, I believe last week or the week before, I can't remember, former Republican candidate for Senate for the Senate in Pennsylvania. She ran against Dr. Oz, uh, as she talked about here on her last visit, uh, the Republican establishment uh, turned against her, guys like Sean Hannity. She couldn't even get Donald Trump uh, to support her. Uh, But as I told you guys, Kathy is my first authentic political crush she got me her campaign ads. She's in Pennsylvania. Her campaign ads got me to uh, donate to her campaign. She's the first politician that I believed in because I love her story. I love her her family, her mom, husband, kids, the whole thing, that everything that Kathy represents. And so as I told Kathy in the first interview, we want to have her back and keep her name out there. And, and Kathy, uh, emailed me over Twitter and was pointing out uh, something that I thought would be interesting for this show. Kathy's background is in economics and finance, and she's been pointing out like, look at all these Republican and Democratic politicians that are making money uh, in the stock market, And, and it's not just Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi, it's it's all these guys. I think the the top four money makers are all are Republicans. Nancy Pelosi and Paul Pelosi come in fifth. Uh, Kathy, uh, Paul Pelosi's been in the news uh, for buying you know twenty thousand shares of a tech stock and that's now worth millions of dollars. And her her his husband her his his wife <laughs> Nancy. Uh, worked on finalizing a bill that would bring that company contracts anyway i find all of this interesting i I want you as best you can to unpack it for me and my audience what it means and what we should think about all this
3: Yeah, you know, um, and when I come to stories like this, first of all, thank you for having me back on your show. I truly appreciate it. But when I come to stories like this, you know, I cannot help but to remember who I am and where I came from. I grew up on a pig farm. I grew up very impoverished. I saw my family waking up very early, going to bed very late and they struggled and we grew up extremely poor. I think I've mentioned on your show already that I grew up in a home with no insulation, no running water an house in the back at a well on the side. And although I am a long way from where I, I started, I remember and I take my family back and I see how people are living. And when I come to stories like this, uh, where you have people who are clearly taking advantage of the system, um, the haves and the have-nots, and that gap continues to widen. And then as I look forward to what is awaiting us as an American people, it's not good. Uh, there is there are no solutions to these gas prices there are no solutions to this inflation there's no solution to a whole host of issues, And so the misery index for um, Americans are only going to rise. And then you come to something like this, right? Because Nancy Pelosi, for example, she is one of the richest uh, congressional members uh, that we have. Her wealth is in excess of $100 million. And so one would think, aren't you rich enough, Nancy? <laughs> but apparently not so much. So in early January is when I first started paying attention, more so, uh, she and her husband uh, reported that they cashed in over $30 million in profits from their uh, tech stocks, right? And tech stocks is one of the areas that falls under Nancy Pelosi's jurisdiction. She is responsible for regulating uh, those particular industries. And if you remember, Prior to you know uh, the beginning of this year, we saw the uh, Biden White House colluding and speaking very openly about their collusion with the tech industry. And then you look at Congress waiting for them to rein these tech industries in and wondering why they're not doing anything. Why was Nancy Pelosi not doing anything to rein in these tech industries? And then we see in early January, her and her husband just in one quarter reported over thirty million dollars and profits from those same tech companies. So perhaps there's an insidious relationship. And then, as I pointed out to you in Twitter, we see that her husband just loaded up on about $5 million worth of a stock called NVIDIA. It is a semiconductor. It falls in a semiconductor industry. and, um, And this industry stands to get about $52 billion of, a boom as well as tax credits coming out of this um, uh, Congress As, as early as today, it can come out today. They're certainly trying to get it passed before the end of their recess at the end of August. And so this is a bill that according to both sides of the political aisle, it is very likely to happen. And so to see her husband once more taking advantage of what appears to be insider trading, uh, stocking up, loading up on about $5 million worth of shares in a particular stock that stands to benefit significantly, and then you see Nancy Pelosi tweeting out information about this particular uh, area that this company falls into. It's just a whole lot of insidious behaviors, and I wanna put a spotlight on it.
0: And and so, and the thing I love about you is you also want to be fair. And and in this uh, thing that you sent me, the actual Dan Crenshaw, John Curtis, French Hill, Brian Mass, Austin Scott, Republicans are benefiting and profiting the exact same way. Uh, and, and, And this is where I think the Tea Party and the MAGA movement actually uh, is ahead of the curve in trying to, s- to show that like, all of these establishment politicians have sold us out. They've sold the American people out. It, it, th- and you mentioned it, and Royce White talks about it all the time on this show, there appears to be a uniparty where they appear, Democrats and Republicans appear to be adversaries but they're all actually doing the same thing and working towards the same end result
3: yeah it does it it, it actually does you know one of the things that i did and i still have my website from my my senatorial campaign up. You can go there at BarnettForSenate.com. And I put out on day one the top 10 things as your senator I would commit to doing. And number three, my husband and I uh, committed to not holding individual stocks. We would do what the overwhelming majority of Americans do. We would invest in mutual funds only. And there's a reason for that because I, you know, I wanted to keep my soul, I've worked very hard to be who I am and although I am not perfect I'm a long way from where I started and I want to keep my soul and so I was putting up safeguards on how I can remain who I am and not sell my soul out if I should uh, get that seat and so that's one of the things my husband and I committed to doing is not holding individual stocks and you see why that chart that I sent over to you I'm just looking at often you know in order of who have profited better who have done who have. Outperform the S&P index, and it goes in this order. We have Austin Scott, Republican in Georgia, Brian Mass, Republican in Florida, French Hill, Republican in Arkansas, John Curtis, Republican in Utah, Dan Crenshaw, Republican in Texas, and then you get to a Democrat, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> That's a problem, right? Yeah, exactly. I thought we were all in this together. You know, I mean, I saw Americans, you know, in in 2020, I saw people taking 30% pay cuts. And yet, in that first year of the pandemic, what we also saw was that our nation increased the number of millionaires by 30%. We increased the number of millionaires by 30% in a time where most Americans were getting fired, unsure, afraid, taking 30% pay cuts, and you recognize very quickly is that you do have the haves and the have-nots. And it's not simply about Democrats versus Republicans. Our nation is in trouble. We have very real problems. And there is not one American that I know of who is sane and rational, who does not believe that we should not be incentivizing corporations to move their, especially critical manufacturing back here into our country. Semiconductors is certainly one of those. Over 90% of semiconductors are produced in Taiwan. Right now, China is about to do a Hong Kong on Taiwan. That is going to happen. And that is going to um, bode very Poorly for the overwhelming majority of Americans, 90% semiconductors coming out of Taiwan. So of course we want to incentivize corporations with grants and subsidies and tax credits to come back here into America. But the manner in which we do these things matter. And when we have Nancy Pelosi's husband, what appears to be insider trading stocking up on a particular uh, stock that has the direct that's going to directly benefit from a bill she is not only tweeting about but going on media outlets trying to push it so that that particular company will be able to stand to benefit greatly that's a problem and we should all care about that I,
0: I tried to explain to people close to me family and friends uh, about what tra- what transpired during the COVID shutdown, and again, it, it all depends on your point of view. I, I'm I'm not worth a hundred million dollars like the uh, Pelosi's or whatever, but many people would consider me financially blessed. And I kept trying to tell my family, and I'm like, hey, this COVID shutdown of the economy if you understood, and I didn't, I don't even really know, or particularly at that time, didn't know what I was doing in the stock market, but I was trying to explain like, hey man, I've made a lot of money during this COVID shutdown and what's going on with the stock market. And I go, and if I've made good money, just think about what the people that really have a lot of money and know what they're doing, how much money they've made while you're suffering and you're being satisfied with these little small stimulus checks, the people that actually know what they're doing and have significant sums of money are making a killing off in the stock market. And so I, I just, all of these little political machinations and, and, and uh, these uh, crises that are exploited or whatever, someone's making money off this while you're being exploited. And, and I, I've had a hard time Expl- Even though I've lived the experience, and I'm like, you know, th- this has been very profitable for me, but not for you. I, I That's, again, it's why I just think you're so important, is because I think you have an opportunity to explain this message to people uh, that on, on a larger scale. Do you understand what I, I'm talking about? Absolutely. Am I making sense? <laughs> yeah.
3: Absolutely. Listen, I have been off the Democrat plantation for a very long time now, several decades. And you go back to some of these people that I've grown up with. I kept their children. We've had dinners with each other every Friday night. All of a sudden you add Trump to the equation and these people are acting like they don't even know who I am. They're acting like, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter happened, George Floyd. And literally I had one girlfriend say to me, I don't know if you know what it means to be black. I'm like, what? Right? And she's mixed. <laughs> I'm black on both sides of them. But that's the world in which we're living in. It's just so illogical. Um, and it's very emotional. And there are those who have information, they know what they're doing, and instead of educating our people, they exploit our people. Now that's on the Democrat side. But like I've informed a number of a number of Republicans, I have no intentions of getting off the Democrat plantation and now jumping on to the Republican plantation. I understand who I am. I understand the values that, that, have, that, that have made this nation strong, those uh, traditional American values. And I'm gonna do my part to continue to push those particular values forward. And as I can educate those around me to get out of their emotions and think and try to make it as plain as possible, I intend to keep doing that.
0: Kathy, I wonder, and can you explain how we as black people are the only people that I know of in America who take their identity from their political point of view? If you run into a white person, uh, a Latino person, an Asian person, you can't predict where they're at on the political spectrum. And they have the freedom to be anywhere on the political spectrum. They can be conservative, they can be liberal, they can be libertarian. But if you're black and you're not a liberal, somehow you're not black, you're kicked out of the race. How did that happen uniquely to us?
3: Yeah, you know, I talk about it in my book, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, being black and conservative in America. And today my book is reading like prophecy and I am no prophet, I'm just very observant. (laughs) Read my book. I'm telling you what was going to happen before it happened, and I'm telling you what is about to happen to our nation. Um, And all I did was look at the black community as a petri dish of what happens when Democrats come in and take absolute control of everything, right? Uh, They leave people broke, broken, and bruised. And I was putting out a clarion call that if we don't get our head out of the sand and believe these people when they say they want to fundamentally change our nation, what they have done and decimating the black community they are going to do to the broader american culture and i began to give examples of what would happen i wrote this book at the end of two, of, of 2019 uh, so again i i started giving examples of what will happen if we do not get our heads out of the sand so again the book is reading like um, prophecy. But one of the things I talk about in the book is that I, too, was born into the Democrat Party, just like I was born into brown skin on that little pig farm. And my family, we're very conservative. We were in church every time the church doors open. And and, and, and those values that I saw um, growing up uh, with my family, um, certainly aren't the values that we see uh, espoused in the Democrat Party, and yet we were Democrats. No one ever talked to me about it. I don't remember ever anyone saying, "Kathy, this is what you're go- you're going to vote Democrat when you when you uh, become eligible to go in there and vote." And yet I remember reading and studying and trying to um, discern between the different people on the ballot when it was my turn to vote, and you never quite. Fully appreciate uh, the subliminal messaging that's going on. How you've been hardwired that even though I'm doing the research, that I'm still walking in pulling the lever on every uh, the lever for Democrats on every single person. And it wasn't until I was a junior in college. I remember I'm taking finance classes, economic classes. That's my major, and I decided I wanted to be involved in politics. And I go to the first office i saw which was a democrat office and i walk in thinking i know everything and i say i want to help you in your campaign and as i'm sitting there and he's talking to me for the first time i had a thought it seemed audible but it wasn't (laughs) and i heard in my in my mind uh do you even know what he believes Do you even know if what he believes is what you believe? And I'm sitting there, this man is talking to me, feeling extremely uncomfortable because I'm going through my mind, well, what does he believe? And I couldn't remember, I I, I don't know. I never checked. And I couldn't wait for him to take his first breath. The moment he did, I got up and ran out of the room. I know I looked crazy, but that was the beginning of a process of me understanding Um, you know, of, of aligning my values with the, or aligning those who say they wanna represent me, watching what they're doing and determining whether their values and how it translates into policies actually match up with my policies, right? And then I began quickly, began moving from voting completely Democrat and beginning to have a mixed bag to now solely being more so Republican Uh, than Democrat ever. I will never vote for another Democrat. But, you know, uh, of of doing that. But that took time, and it takes courage because from, you know, you know the history of our people with Abraham Lincoln, 1863, and the number of of, of Black uh, pastors, uh, gatekeepers, who was uh, in charge of telling the Black community how we were going to vote and how that began to move. In my book, I talk about that as well, of how we started off Republican and then by the time we got to Um, FDR, the Great Depression you began to see more and more black people trying to be a part of the Republican, uh, the Democrat Party, but Democrats were so doggone racist they kept kicking them out and then you began to see in 1964, 101 years later, Civil Rights Movement and LBJ coming up being the president with his name on the Civil Rights Bill although it was Republicans that gave him the majority to pass the Civil Rights Bill, but history only talks about the president and the name who was on it. And then from that to his great society idea and how, and and then you began to see uh, the using of our people. And that's one of the questions I would ask black people when I would go into predominantly black communities. Uh, you know, I think it's a legitimate question. We know what Democrats get when they Uh, Get our vote. They can't, they get the White House. They can't get the White House without securing 92 to 95% of our vote. But what exactly have we gotten for that loyalty? We know what they get, but what do we get? Right? Our streets are some of the worst streets, our schools are some of the worst schools. Um, You're know, you ducking and dodging bullets left and right. So what exactly have we gotten? And I think that's a very legitimate question that I put in front of black people all the time. And I tell you, I see black people, when I walk in those room and walk out, I bring computers to change their registration from Democrat to Republican every single time. And so that's the overall scope of it, but it's gonna take work. It's gonna take people like you and I being bold enough and being willing to be ridiculed and marginalized and call all kinds of crazy names, um, but still be very comfortable in, in our skin and tell our story.
0: What does the Republican party establishment need to do better to welcome people like yourself into the Republican fold and to recruit others
3: making a distinction. um, Some of the best people I've ever met are Republicans. Um, You know, we traveled over 1,500 miles every single week. and And I felt every time I walked into the room, true, I was perhaps the only black person in those meetings, but I felt like I was one of their sisters in the fight. If I walked into these meetings with people seeing the color of my skin, I walked out as a sister in arms with them, understanding that our nation is in trouble. I felt loved and, and accepted and appreciated, that's the Republican people. Now we move to the Republican elites, to some of the influencers within our party, some of those who brought out the long knives um, and, and attacking me and I see them using that Sean Hannity strategy on other people um, already. I've, I've seen it about three different times now of, uh, of, of you know, oh, they were a Democrat once, so that must mean we can't do anything. One, stop being a racist. Two, if you're not a racist, stop being an elitist, right? That, that uh, I, I don't know if what happened to me if they were racist or if they were just elitist. In today's society, it feels quite similar. <laughs> Right, and so, and I'm not going to sit around and try to figure out well which one is it. Are you a racist or are you elitist? Because in today's America, if you don't like me because of the color of my skin, I believe that's more your problem than my problem. But it presented, a, a, but it did present a very real and tangible challenge uh, for me. You saw that those long knives came out. It did not look good on the Republican Party. Reflect well on the Republican Party. Certainly didn't feel good to me when they were lying about me and it doesn't look very well on who it is that we say that we are um we need to start picking better people i think we have the better message in the republican party but i think we keep picking people who suck at telling our story so we got to get beyond you know just how much money you have uh just you know if you're um We gotta stop picking these country club Republicans. That's what I was calling them, right? And they make us feel good because I believe the people here over three hundred and thirty thousand plus, and i believe many more would have had they not been manipulated by people like sean hannity and others would have came out and voted uh for this black woman and i think that those who are elites who are more concerned about control they need to get comfortable with the fact that either they're going to lose what little power they think they have as republican and leadership over to this radical socialist movement that is gripping our nation or they're going to get comfortable with people like me <laughs> who look like me
0: i'm very comfortable back. with you thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show and we're going to ask again uh, because we love you and you're our favorite politician uh, and we're going to support you until you get elected and you can help us all out in Washington, D.C. or right there in the state of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for the time, Kathy. Uh, get your you. fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. It's my obligation. on hate discrimination.
3: Raising up your hands for freedom.
0: Welcome back. All right, we're gonna uh, bring in Maj Touré. A few little interesting uh, developments this week in the Second Amendment argument. Uh, Of course, in my hometown, my home state, uh, Greenwood, Indiana, I'm, I'm about 30 minutes, or grew up about 30, 15, 20 minutes outside of Greenwood. Greenwood Park Mall had a potential mass shooter A guy that I do think ended up shooting three or maybe killing three and injuring two others, but he was shot by what police describe as a good Samaritan who was actually uh, carrying a gun in the mall and and shot and killed the mass shooter uh, with his handgun within two minutes of the mass shooter opening fire. Uh, this, This quieted this story and and stop the corporate media from using this as another example of you know what's wrong with America because they didn't know how to react to the fact that a good guy with a gun actually shut down what could have been a horrific, and it was a horrific event, but a, a really horrific event. Uh, this guy, I think according to reports, sat in a bathroom for an hour preparing, Uh, for this mass shooting at a food court inside the Greenwood Park Mall and a Good Samaritan shut him down inside of two minutes. Wanted to get Maj Therese expert opinion. Of course, Maj is the leader of Black Guns Matter. He's our Second Amendment expert on this show. Maj, I I wanted your reaction to what happened in Greenwood and what lessons do you think we should take from that?
1: Well, the first lesson is you, everyone should be armed. If you feel competent in your skill set, uh, you train consistently. Right now, I'm here at the range. We had shoot indoors right outside of King of Pressure, 15 minutes away from my house in Philadelphia. If you are training and you are being consistent, and if you are following the protocol of safe and responsible firearms owners, I'm perfectly fine with you carrying a firearm into a mall. I know that you know certain companies that own a bunch of malls around the country Think that you should not have a firearm, but this is a perfect example of someone stepping up and huge, you know, condolences to his family and friends. But I think one of his loved ones was saying that she's super proud that he did this. He stopped a lot of carnage to, you know, during that scenario. And so it just tells us that what we've been saying for, you know, I think we talked about it a few shows back. The armed general public having the means to stop weirdos is the preferred method of stopping weirdos. And I think that, you know, we saw the Uvalde shooting, you know, these guys for 70 some odd minutes, law enforcement officers, quote unquote, cowards basically. And this is not indicative of every law enforcement officer, but these guys stood around for over an hour while the bad guy killed children. This citizen, this 22 year old stepped in and did the right thing. Unfortunately, it cost him his life, but it saved untold amounts of life. And this is the way that we got to start treating these guys. I have, I, I want to hold no quarter for a guy that's going into a food court. The reason you should be going into a mall is to get some new sneakers, get them Chinese LeBrons, you know, something like that. That's what you should be in the mall for. You should not be in the mall to harass, brutalize, kill, or maim. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate. We are so fortunate that this young man with so much life ahead of him took on that responsibility and stopped
0: the threat. What I found interesting, Maj, is that the police, and I'm not questioning the police, but I just found it interesting. When they got there, they arrested the Good Samaritan. They put him in cuffs uh, and moved him to interrogation and questioned him. It wasn't until after they viewed the video that they actually bought this guy's story that he put down a a mass shooter. He was eventually handcuffed and hauled off. What do you think of that?
1: So in those spaces, when I, at our classes, we teach our students to, if you are at actually in a shooting scenario and you have stopped the threat, and if you are being a good witness or other witnesses are around, you need to corroborate what's going on. So people, you know, law enforcement incoming, they may have a description of the actual shooter you may fit the description it doesn't matter you need to make sure that you're training to have an understanding that hey even if you can get to your phone hey i'm wearing a black t-shirt there's been a shooting i'm the good guy you need to unload your firearm and you need to comply now am i saying that in an active shooter where there's a bad guy there and the bad guy has not been dropped no i'm not saying it. i'm saying when the threat has been neutralized you need to communicate so i'm not upset at law enforcement officers that come on scene that don't know who's who. It's chaos in any type of shooting. I'm not upset with them saying, hey, here's what you have to do. We need to corroborate exactly who you are. I'd rather them do that than to actually just start shooting anybody that they see with a firearm. So if I got a, you know, if I'm I'm picking and choosing between which outcome I'd prefer, even me as a person that would, you know, take that opportunity to to stop a threat, I would absolutely be compliant in that space because a lot a lot of times officers, again, we don't know their level of training. We, we dealt with a lot of defund the police, which actually didn't happen. You know, you had a lot of those off the uh, light foot in Chicago saying defund the police, defund the police, defund the police. But they took a lot of the COVID relief money and put it right back into the budget. The problem, the police budget, the problem is that money isn't going into training. You know, how are we teaching our guys how to stop the bleed right here at the range right here? it's just a med kit. You know, we got shears on the side. We got tourniquets in here. We got tourniquets in the bag. Are we teaching these guys and women how to stop a bleed? You know, are we teaching these men and women, uh, scenario training, these types of things that, that part I'm all for funding. What I'm not for is the over militarization and buying a bunch of MRAPs and things like that to pacify communities that and over police communities, that's not limited government. So I'm saying that to say, it, we don't know this. These officers' particular level of training, and until I wouldn't feel confident saying that these guys—they're not boar They're not, not going to actually jump in here right now. And I'm, I'm, you know, absolutely certain these these guys have been vetted and went through the best type of scenario training we could actually get. I don't know that. So if you're asking me, even if I was the good guy, cool. I'm complying at that moment. There's a thousand cameras around. We have the privacy. We can communicate about exactly what's going to happen. Ballistics reports are going to happen. I'm, hey, I'm compliant. I'm going in this scenario because I I want the parade thrown for me more than the funeral thrown for me.
0: The other thing I found interesting, Maj, is that he started firing at the shooter from a bit of a distance early on. And so this guy was clearly well-trained, practiced, because if you're not, that can get a little dangerous. You might be shooting at the shooter from a distance and accidentally hit an innocent bystander. This guy sounded really skilled and trained despite just being 22 years old.
1: When you're 22, and when you have been raised in gun culture, and again, I'm not, I don't know exactly his background, but generally, if somebody's 22 and that's willing to carry a firearm and take up the call when it's time to do work, that's a 22 year old that understands the importance of life, that values life and wants to protect life. These are the types of people that we want to put a firearm in the hands of. We don't want to be in a space where we're handing, you know, uh, uh, irresponsible uh, uh, young men, not telling them that these are things that are in in, in protection of life, you know? So. Again, kudos to this 22 year old. That means he's in essence saying, hey, I want to protect life. And obviously, fortunately, we don't want to be in a space where um, we ever have to get to that space. But we train that if we are in that space, we know how to rise to that occasion. And, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about this citizen. Again, this destroys this narrative that. A good guy with a gun isn't going to stop a bad guy with a firearm. The reality is they're at minimum annually. There's about 300,000 defensive gun usages annually. That means 300,000 times a year. Someone uses a firearm to protect life. And these are the things that we need more of. We need more training. Again, as you see people here walking in to shoot indoors Phil in, right outside of Philadelphia. These are regular American citizens, to my knowledge, that want to have the means to defend themselves. And they have a human and American right to do so as stated in the Second Amendment of our Bill of Rights of the Constitution of the United States.
0: I want to move on to Minneapolis, and Kepley Sunberg. a little bit of controversy. Uh, the, the woman that he was terrorizing kind of shut down the protests that were going on. For me, my... Techley Sunberg, when he fired into that woman's home, with her two kids there, at that point, that's when my caring about what happens to Techley Sunberg <laughs> ends. And so I, I don't really particularly care what the body cam footage shows when they review what went on with Techley Sunberg. But again, my feelings on this may be inappropriate. You do you care? What happened to Techley Sunberg? I don't, can't say that I'm right for feeling that way, but that is how I feel.
1: I, I do have some questions there. Um, you know, what changed for the snipers to say, we're gonna go ahead and take a shot? That's a question for me. Now, I always wanna preserve life because I, I, you know, that's just the position. If he's no longer a threat and there has been no life taken, that goes to a bad guy being contained. And if he was already negotiating with the hostage negotiator or whatever negotiator that it is, it does it does represent a question. All of these questions are questions that I actually would like to know the answer to. Um, so that's just for me as a as an end of, you know, when the firemen put out a fire, they don't just, you know, roll away. Um, and if something has changed and if he did have other people in that building that he was a threat to, I'm good with the shot. I would have I always liked to see God get taken into custody because I don't want anyone, even first responders in law enforcement, to have that on their karma of having to take life. You know, but if you shoot a gun through a wall at a woman that you've been harassing, you, you, you kind of are playing with your life in the first place. So from a from a training and, and a wanting to know perspective, I'd absolutely want to know that answer. But from a like, am I going to lose sleep about it? And, and the poor woman that had her home shot up, you know, she comes home and there's protesters out in front of the spot. These protesters have no context. They don't even know what actually is going on. Now there is are, there are, other information. One, a few of those officers on scene were also at a different. Student- Highly politicized and some of these guys have had some records. Some of these guys also had uh from pretty good officers. So again context layers and nuance would generally force me to ask these questions. But I gotta match that up against bro, you the reason in first place because you were rounds in somebody's house with their women and children. So he loses some of that a little bit in my perspective. Uh, but again, I do ask the question, and it could be maybe that that sniper is just going. Listen, we can't allow this guy to out and put up guys. In jail, so we got to switch him. I take both sides, but I want to know what. Our connection's
0: too bad, Maj. I gotta let you go. Yeah. We're we every other word is getting cut out at this point. Thank you so much. Great job. Here tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow.
3: sign looking like it's my time feeling all kinds of free. these words are our religion our regrets and our decisions we all want to go to heaven with freedom it's my obligation no hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom raise up your hands for freedom i just want i wanna be i just want i wanna
2: be